Welcome to the Dreams and Money podcast, the ultimate guide to creating and living your best life. Join me as I talk to inspiring, trailblazing millennials who are breaking barriers and being bosses in their careers and personal lives. Guests will include young business owners, philanthropists and creatives dominating different industries. I am excited for this episode. I have someone special who's actually taking the time out of their evening, Friday evening actually, to, to come and record with me. So I do appreciate it. Um, he is the project manager for one of the biggest festivals in Europe, potentially the world, we could argue. <laughs> He's the project manager for Afro Nation, uh, a producer on the radio show 103.6 FM yeah. and co-host on the For the Love of Afrobeats podcast. Welcome. Right. <laughs> Thank you very much. Do I introduce myself? Yeah, introduce yourself, please. <laughs> Hi, everyone. My name is Dignified Shorinul Bingpei. Uh, I'm a project manager for Suede Entertainment, which is one of the companies uh, behind AfroNation. Uh, I'm also a producer on the Beat 103.6 FM. Uh, what else do I do? <laughs> yeah, what, what, what don't you do, crew. I think maybe is the better question. Because yeah. you seem your hands are in different pots yeah. and sort of everywhere. Yeah. I guess the you know, where we could get started first is mm. where, where it all began and how you got involved in the entertainment industry. Yeah, all right. So... I have an academic background in architecture and uh, project management. Uh, architecture I studied, of course, because, um, you know, my parents wanted me to study that. Yes. You know, they wanted the professional titles and all of that. And then eventually I knew that wasn't for me from the start. Yeah. I always had a passion for entertainment uh, and I always had a passion for putting things together, you know, making things work according to plan. So it made sense for me to, you know, pursue a second degree in project management and that's how I entered project management. And at the same time, I sort of trained myself to be a web developer as well. So I became an IT project manager. Oh, you lovely. Know. And yeah, that's how you know I started my career. And um, in 2017, okay, I founded the company while I was in uni. It was called uh, Schmooze Lounge. It was supposed to be a social network for students in my university. And, what university? Uh, I went to Caleb University for my first degree in Nigeria. Mm-hmm. And then I had my master's at Westminster, the University of Westminster in the UK. And I founded Schmooze Lounge, which eventually became iDay, uh, which was an online magazine. And while producing one of our video series, I met Smade, okay. uh, who is the founder of Smade Entertainment. So I interviewed him for one of our shows. And yeah, we just maintained the relationship and then... I'll call it a stroke of right place, right time in. Yeah. Uh, so a few years down the line. So I met Smed, I think, in 2015. And then in 2017, yeah, we just reconnected again. And I became a part of the Smed family. And that's how I joined the entertainment business, in short. <laughs> yeah. No, that's a, it sounds like good beginnings. Yeah. And somehow just everything aligning to yeah. lead you where you needed to be almost and kind of connecting you to, to the right people yeah. that have led you here. Mm-hmm. What has that journey been like working with um, Smed? Because, I mean, he is a, a big name at this <laughs> yeah, point. You know, he, he generally is one of the biggest, I mean... Entertainment uh, promotion outfits in the UK. Thank you. Right yeah. now. Yes. Uh, <laughs> so Smed Entertainment has been running for what, at least, I think, 13 years now, if I'm not mistaken. I joined the company in 2017 and at that time I think it was nine years old or about 10 years old and at the time you know we're still best known for the you know one Afrobeat concert a year I think at that time we're done just David O 
Westgate. Yeah. And we are still doing like decent venues. I mean, compared to where we are now at the time, yeah. those were big deals to us. The Hammersmith, Apollo, you know. O2, Brixton. We didn't even do Brixton at that time. Oh, no? We're still at the uh, O2 Academy Islington and oh, Indigo. Okay, so okay. those were the ones we were still like dabbling mm. into. And then, you know, of course, we still have the club nights that we were running on a weekly basis. And then in 2018, we sort of took a step forward and said, you know what, we're going to do a concert every month. So in January, we started with YC. I think the following month we had uh, Files and then Yemiala Day. I think that year we ended up doing Tiwa Savage, Adekunle Gold. Uh, I think we did Simi, we did David O, we did Westgate as well. So we had a concert literally... We had 11 concerts in 12 months, which was amazing. And I think that then sort of made people take extra notice. You know, they paid more attention to us. And I think that sort of earned us the trust of uh, some of the bigger players in the business. So companies like Live Nation, Echo Talent, you know, Mm -hmm. so they sort of paid notice, you know, this is a big thing you guys got going on. The Afrobeat market is big. You know, yeah, absolutely, and it's, know, it's grown it's phenomenally well. over the last, you know, decade. Exactly, you know, yeah. I mean, we've done two or three Afrobeat concerts at the Auto Arena now. A few yeah. years ago, that was unheard of. You know, we're still celebrating 2,500. We were happy about that. And now we're doing 20,000 arenas, you know. And, and that's that's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> At no point did you guys feel sort of pressure because, you know, to have 20,000 people yeah. to attend one show and to have faith that they would come and this yeah. would work and you would be successful and have some of the biggest artists in the world. You know, you've got Davido, Wizkid, yeah. um, Burner Boys, Boy, yeah. the biggest artists oh, to come out of Africa. Names, yeah. How did you guys manage that? Because it's, it's a lot to do. Yeah, it is, it is a lot of pressure. It is a lot of uh, expectations being put on our shoulders. And, you know, I have to give credit to Smaid. It's because, you know, left for most people, they're like, the numbers don't make sense. Why risk it, you know, financially? Yeah. Why why put money into a 20,000 capacity show when it's never been done before? Yeah. Uh, what's the guarantee that we can even sell 10,000 yeah. when the highest we've ever done is 5,000? So we literally went from 5,000 to 20,000. And it's, it's that determination, it's that confidence that, you know, we can pull this off that, you know, then pushed us to take that risk. And mm. at the end of the day, you know, the fans want a good time. They want the show. They, they're Afrobeat audiences that want to see that. They've done seen that for Dave. They've seen that for like 50 Cent. They've seen that for Jay-Z. They've gone to concerts at the O2 for other genres of music. Yeah. So why can't we give the same experience for a Wizkid or a David Doe? And, you know, eventually we made that step. And I'm glad to say it worked out. It turned out well. <laughs> I mean, as, as a fan of Afrobeats, I'm glad that yeah. there was somebody who had faith in themselves and really pulled it off because the shows that you guys put together are so well done and thank you very of course professional but also just to to conquer something as big as the o2 is absolutely amazing so well done to your team (laughs) thank you very much and you mentioned that it was more so the determination and the confidence yeah um, and that that's something that sticks out it's when you are venturing into something new something that's never been done Done, before and into new waters you do have to have the self-confidence yeah 
to know that it is possible yep. and I have the ability to do so. Yeah, very, very important. Um, you know, people will always doubt you, especially when it's something that's never been done before. Yeah. You know, but provided you believe in yourself, you believe in your dream and you know what's going to come out of it at the other end, you should definitely go for it. So with working with some of these big artists, what, what are some of the challenges that you can share with me that, that you guys <laughs> face? Uh, okay. I mean, in, in the sense of, because you are working with big artists yeah. and having them yeah. come over yeah. and convince them that this will work yeah. and they are, you know, putting on these performances, yeah. potentially the, the largest they have performed to yeah. as the headliner. Yeah. What steps do you take to get them to join in and buy into this vision that you have? All right, so uh, I think the first thing is having the, this is where the reputation comes in, you know, the brand name, yeah. um, the track record. When you're approaching the artist or, you know, you're speaking with the artist, you know, at the end of the day, they want to be sure that you can deliver what you're promising. Yeah. So if you're saying to them, let's go to, say, the to Brixton, which is a 5,000 capacity venue, you know, if you're a promoter that's never done that before, they're not going to be so welcoming or open to the idea. And then, of course, we've had the horror stories. You know, I'm not going to give examples, but we've had cases where artists have been taken from their home countries to another country and then they've just been left stranded by the promoters. Wow. Yeah, you know, that's happened all over Europe. And but I'm happy to say with confidence and pride, that's mm. never happened in our case. So things like that count when you're approaching some of the big artists or the labels to work with them. And where we are today, you know, it's, it's the reverse is the case, you know. So we have labels approaching us and saying, look, I th we think we're due for a UK show. Okay. Uh, let's come to the UK. What can we do together? That's incredible. You know, so that's the fact <laughs> that now, sorry to interrupt you, the yeah, fact that now you're in a position where you almost hold the power yeah. because you are one of the biggest entertainment agencies, really. Yeah. And people are coming to you and artists are coming to you and yeah. wanting to be hosted by you and pretty much be put on your stage. Yeah. That must be an incredible incredible feeling. It and is a, a great A testament feeling. to the work you've done to yeah. build a brand that yeah. is trusted and to build a brand that is that delivers yeah good results continuously. Consistently. So, consistently too, exactly. <laughs> yeah. um, and then with that, I'm sure there's there's the pressure. How do you succeed under all of that pressure? Because now that you've done all of these great events, that there is a pressure to, to yeah. continuously be at that standard, standard at yeah. a great standard and to even exceed the standard. Yeah, definitely. Um, like you said, uh, there's pressure. When you reach a goal, the next thing everybody's asking is, okay, so what, either when's the next one or what are you doing next? You yeah. know, so I'll take AfroNation, for example. Um, AfroNation Portugal was amazing. You know, it was the first of its kind. I, I know you were there, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, it was good. The numbers were great. It was amazing, both for the performers and also the fans that came and even for the team behind it as well. It was quite an experience. And then off of that, we thought, okay, what else are we going to do? We're not going to go back there and just do the same thing next year. We have to either, one, make it bigger, or two, take it around the world, which yeah. is what we're doing now. So we've taken it to Ghana, and then from there we're coming back to uh, Portugal, and we've just announced Mexico as well later this year. Yeah. So as we get successful, we get to a new stage, we're always thinking, what can we do next? You know, There's that pressure, we have to match it. You know, For example, Ghana has... Uh, as part of our planning process, uh, we always sort of conduct a risk analysis. Yeah. So we try to assess what possible risks might arise. So we start starting from like security risks to legal um, exposure that we might have 
in Ghana, for example, we had to get involved with politicians in Ghana. Like the president was personally involved in that, you know. Yeah. So that sort of gave us some sort of government backing, so to yeah. speak, you know. Because, um, of course, the government saw that there's potential benefits for Ghana in this. Yeah. So having that endorsement, having that support was went a long way in trying to make sure things went smoothly. Likewise in Portugal as well, you know, we had to liaise with the local authorities yeah. to ensure that, you know, from a legal standpoint, we're not breaking any laws, we're not, you know, and should anything go wrong, at least we have enough... You're covered. Yeah, support and coverage. So, yeah, we try to um, take those steps. In terms of contracts, again, for example, with artists as well, We've had scenarios, again, no examples, but we've had scenarios where artists are sort of contracted to show up and some eventually want to start training up some last-minute cancellations and things like okay. that. So, again, because legally we ensure that our contracts are watertight, there are repercussions for not turning up and things like that. Yeah. We're always able to pull everyone back to the table and this needs to be done. So the most important thing is that we analyse our exposure to risk and sort of put steps in place to mitigate that before yeah, it eventually sure happens. Something important to all sort of businesses yeah. and making sure that you've got the the right steps in place to make sure that if anything does go wrong, yeah. um, you, you do have a contingency plan to yeah. counter that. Definitely. With AfroNation Ghana specifically, yeah. you mentioned that you had the even the president involved yeah. in that. You've obviously said about yeah. the legal reasons to why that would have been important. Yeah. What was the reception from him and this government with this new venue you were trying to sell to them almost? Yeah. Um, you mentioned something earlier at the start of the podcast um, it was about timing and you know things falling into place at the right time. And uh, if you've been paying attention to Ghana, you know they've been pushing this um, year of return thing. Well, yeah. Last year they were pushing the year of return, you know, which was a new initiative by the president, the new president, of course, to increase tourism in Ghana, get yeah. people in the diaspora to come back. So for them, it made sense. This is a African festival or Afri uh, a festival of African origin or roots, so to yeah. speak, um, that's done well in Europe. Why not bring it to Africa? Yeah. And I don't have the exact figures, but you can only imagine the amount of revenue that was generated in Ghana. In yeah, December. in December. We have people that have never been to Ghana going to Ghana just because of AfroNation. Yeah. And of course, while they're in Ghana, they're going to go stay in hotels, they're going to go to restaurants, they're going to visit tourist attractions. Yeah. And the government is going to tax all of these businesses. So the government is, it's a win-win for the government from, yeah. you know, good PR to income generated to, you know, people saying, oh, this is how lit Ghana is. I'm coming back again next yeah. time. So it's a for promotion the, for, yeah. for the entire country. So for, the, for, for them, it was a strategic thing. It had to work. and um, So I can imagine yeah. that that gives them more reason to support you and back you and exactly. have them want to see AfroNation yeah. succeed Successful. or any events um, that were being held there succeed because, exactly. of course, it, it directly benefits the entire country. Definitely. Just to go back a little bit to yeah. the AfroNation and just, I guess, as a attendee yeah. at the Portugal, Portugal edition, yeah. the maiden um, edition. <laughs> yeah, the first yeah. of its kind. And yeah. um, I'm going to go ahead and say I don't think AfroNation will ever be the same again. The launch was up to par. It was yeah. absolutely amazing yeah. from start to finish in terms of the, the lineup was incredible. Yeah. The organisation was absolutely impeccable yeah. from 
the day parties, the yeah. actual festival during the day. Did you go to, to any of the boat parties as well? Unfortunately, I didn't oh. because they're all <laughs> sold out so quickly. Yeah, very quickly. Um, to the after parties after yeah. the festival, everything ran so smoothly yeah. and I just, I had no complaints. Yeah. Besides the fact that I just didn't want it to end Very you know happy i mean to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> um really everybody that attended had nothing but compliments yeah. i mean because of course it was the first of its kind, kind there was yeah. so much skepticism and yeah. side eyes that yeah. people were were a giving lot it, a lot of and there were prophecies and people were seeing visions <laughs> the shade the shade <laughs> i mean yeah. well, eventually it went well so no, i'm happy to did. hear that thank you for the what feedback. was your experience like on the ground sort of, of the ground. course behind the scenes what was that experience like for you guys um you know at the end of the day everybody was um we were what's the word i, I don't I don't, I don't want to use the word excited, but we felt we're part of history. We're making history. And you did. You know, and we did. So yeah. that feeling is like everybody was given their utmost best to, you know, make sure that things went smoothly. It was a lot of pressure, you know, especially because uh, we're in a different country. There was the language barrier. But behind the scenes, you know, things went relatively smoothly. Thankfully, there were no incidents or issues. For yourself, would you say... It is building a legacy. It's more than just a hosting yeah. one festival, two festivals, but actually it's building a legacy. Yeah, I mean, that's the right word, legacy. And um, my favourite song at the moment is uh, a song called uh, Legacy by Jay-Z. And I play that every day just to remind myself that, you know, what we're trying to achieve or what I'm trying to achieve personally as well is to leave a legacy when we're no longer here. What can we say? This is what we left behind. And even as a business, as a team, that's what AfroNation represents to us. We're able to say we're part of this movement or we're part of that generation that made Afrobeat a global phenomenon. Yes. You know, we have festivals like uh, Coachella, we have uh, what's Glastonbury. And yes. you know, Glastonbury is historically a rock concert. The same with Coachella. Yeah. Uh, and now we have AfroNation, which is an Afrobeats concert, even though we start to feature other sounds of types of music, it's primarily Afrobeats. And by God's grace, that will go on for years to come. Yeah. You know, and when I'm maybe 80, 70, and my grandchild is trying to tell me I'm not cool, and I'm going to tell him <laughs> that Afro-Nisha you're going to, we were the ones that started it. Yeah. You know, so that that's that's really what it is for us. And also, also to sort of inspire people as well, that there's no dream too big. No dream too big at all, you know. Uh, Afro Nation, a few years ago, anyone would have said, what are you trying to do? What are you saying? Yeah, like, like it's absolutely you know, impossible. People don't want to go to an Afrobeats festival, you know. But look at it today, we, you know, it's, it's something that we've made a reality. So it yeah. just kind of tells you anything is possible, really. And now that you've set the standards so high, how do you... For yourself as an individual, yeah. having been part of something that's so incredible, mm-hmm. how do you exceed this at this point? See, I ask myself that question every day. Uh, what else? What else can I? What else can I do that might be possibly bigger? I one day see myself. At least, let's just talk about me as an entertainment project manager. Right yeah, now. I see myself one day producing shows at. Wembley Stadium. I want to do events like that. Who says tomorrow you might not see me in sports, you know, producing maybe the Super Bowl finals, you know, the concert, pre-concert, halftime show, things like that. So um, 
I want to do the biggest, the biggest shows, the biggest events, um, the events that the world pays attention to, not just one journal, one continent. I want, you know, maybe the World Cup, for example. So yeah, the bar, so it's not just yeah, entertainment, the, but yeah, just the, the sport. Yeah, just and... branch out, you know. And um, one of my life goals, of course, is to one day. Um, set up a entertainment conglomerate that I can be proud of you know which is which kind of makes sense considering I have my hands in everything you know yeah. the radio the tv um the event production yeah you know so something that ties all of that together and you know see that grow so that is that is uh, so you, you, like you've mentioned about just the, the entertainment industry and yeah. you are well producer on the 1036 the beat, the beat 1036 the, fm how did you get involved with that i've always wanted to be on radio or i've always wanted to work in radio um so how did i even come about again timing being at the right place at the right time so shortly after i started working with uh Smade entertainment i met a great individual Adeshokwe Olajide, uh, probably known as Shopsy Do. So he's a TV presenter, radio presenter, and uh, event host. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, we met and we interacted. And um, I didn't tell him myself, but somehow he heard from somebody that I had an interest in radio. And then um, one day he calls me up and says, I hear you have an interest in radio. Would you like to, you know, come on board and um, just come, come watch us live one day yeah. and then you know see what else if you like is something you like and where you fit in and i was like yeah why not and i show up in the radio and that's how i became a radio producer and i produce uh, the afro hits on the beat show and um, another show that's about to premiere later in the year so okay. that's how i ended up on so radio. we've got we've got something <laughs> to look forward to yeah so it seems like the theme is almost being at the right place at the right time, but also putting yourself out there. Yes. Even uh, though you didn't directly do it, but somehow you you put it out into the world, as they will say, and along the lines, you were able to kind of bring the two together or somebody put in a a word for you and eventually you you got onto radio. Yeah, yeah. about that really. Um, I think my favourite quote is um, trust in your process. So essentially, mm. um, I believe the right opportunity will come at the right time. Yeah. Provided you stay prepared, you know, so provided you give yourself this relevant skills. For example, you say you want to be um, you want to be a footballer and you want to play for Manchester United. Manchester United is not going to come and meet you in your house yeah. and give you the contract. And yeah. say <laughs> you know, you have to practice, you have to train so that. You know, and you have to say maybe start playing amateur football, keeping yourself active, keeping yourself fit, learning new things. And then when the opportunity comes, you're able to deliver or people even take notice and say, oh, you're doing this. I think you might also be great doing that. Yeah, you may be great in this space because I've seen you perform in this area and you've done it well. So I think you would be great for that. That's how it works. And that's how my life has been. Mimi in, for example, Smaid. Yeah. Um, if I didn't have skills that were relevant to his organization or his business or his team, I wouldn't be invited to come on board. Yeah. Likewise, the radio thing, even my job as a solution consultant as well, if I didn't have the relevant skills, yes, it came at the right time. The opportunity was perfect. But if I didn't have the skills, it wouldn't have happened anyway. So preparation is is the key. Preparation and patience. Preparation, patience and being ready. 
yeah. is the key. <laughs> okay, we like that. One thing as well I would say, whilst I was stalking you yeah. on social media, <laughs> as I do many, many people, mm-hmm. is it seems as if there's this theme of almost pushing the culture forward. Yeah. And I think that's something I can also see with particularly your podcast. So yeah. not just the radio and also being involved in Smade Entertainment, but yeah. also other things that you're doing. Is that something that was conscious or is that something I've kind of made up? Um, no, it's, <laughs> you're very spot on with that. And um, I have to give you credit for picking that out because, again, it's not something I've actively done. Yeah. It's, it's a subconscious thing. Yeah. So, um, you know, the podcast, the perfect example. I love music. You know, that's something I'm very passionate about. And Afrobeats music is something that I'm passionate about, of course, because that's what I grew up on. That's music I love and I can relate to. But at the same time, I want to see certain things. I want to see the industry go, grow in the right way. Yeah. You know, which was the inspiration behind the podcast. So for the love of Afrobeat podcast really is a podcast about, um, you know, the Afrobeats industry, the Afrobeat scene happenings within the industry, not from a entertainment like, oh, this person did this or this person's dating that person angle, but more of a structured conversation around the business, you know, labels in, in the industry, how they operate and how artists managing their branding and perception right. um, or strategic moves that they're making um, media-wise, who's making the right moves, who's promoting themselves, who's doing the radio tour, things like that. And that's what brought about the podcast, really. So I want to promote the culture, but also want to, I'm also particular about the culture being projected in the right way. Right. You know, I want people to look at Afrobeats with the same respect that they look at hip hop and maybe uh, Latin music. Yeah, the Latin, Latin music. Pop, yeah. yeah, you know, so um, the respect they would give to maybe a Fifty Cent. I don't know. Why I keep referring to Fifty Cent. It makes yeah. me sound old school now. <laughs> I don't listen to I any mean, other new school rap. But yeah, um, the same respect they would give to a hip hop rapper. I want them to get that same respect to an Afrobeat artist. Yeah. If I say I'm an Afrobeat uh, promoter or radio producer. I want to get the same respect that you'd give a hip hop producer. And that's that's uh, what I'm about, pushing the culture forward. I respect that. Yeah. And I mean, we've already dabbled into this a little bit, having your hands in different pots and being involved in different projects. Yeah. Again, is that a, a conscious decision and sort of focusing? Because I know, like with us millennials, you know, yeah. that there is quite there's a pressure yeah. to not just have one main job but to have multiple streams of income again was that something that you consciously decided to do Um, and to venture into or did it just kind of sort of happen and you fell into different areas yeah so um i'll say it's i'll get a bit personal here so um my mom was an entrepreneur growing up my mom wore many hats as far as i know you know my mom was a fashion designer at some point in in her life Uh, my mom was uh, an auto dealer at some point in her life, she was a furniture designer. She also had a charity organization she was running at some point. And then she also had like, she was producing the TV show. So the first dating TV show in Nigeria, that was my mom's production. Oh, that's you know. incredible. Yeah. So <laughs> my mom did a lot of stuff. Yeah, you know. she, she was a boss lady. Yeah, she was, you know, my mom's my role model. Yeah. You know, so as a child, I watched her do all of these things. And 
for each of these businesses, my mom had to learn a new skill. And I literally would watch her learn a new skill. My mom would edit a video. She would she learned how to manage a camera because again, she's a perfectionist. So she would, uh, while she was producing a dating show, for example, she would always go behind the camera, even though she paid people to the, do these yeah. jobs. She would go behind and watch what they're doing. And then the next thing you know, she's bought a camera and she's filming stuff as well. And then she's editing videos and then when she went into uh, furniture making, for example, she started to sit down in the workshop and she's watching how they're doing the hinges and the joints and things like that. So yeah. growing up, I had that as an example and that's how I started to condition my mind. Like you cannot just stick to one thing. I mean, that's fine if you want to do that. You can focus on that and be perfect at it. Yeah. But then when you have skills that are transferable, then why not? Why not extend yeah, yourself not and extend do yourself? a little bit yeah. more? Why not do more if if you've got skills that can apply in other areas? Yeah. You know, because at the end of the day, why limit yourself? So that's how I conditioned myself. And as I started to grow, I started to pick up skills. I started as a web developer, you know, trained myself as a web developer. I had a passion for it. So I trained myself in that. And then um, project management came on board and then my interest in music music pushed me into like radio and I'm a, I'm a student of the culture as well so you know I'm always looking back at like old records watching trends history all of that so all of that just sort of added up yeah and then I'm able to then apply all of this knowledge in certain areas you know so ever even before I ever started working in concert or into event production I was always reading up and stuff like that or watching yeah. videos and things like that. So when I found myself in that space, even though I didn't plan to be in that space, I was able to function. And yeah, that's Because you already had gained so much knowledge, knowledge from exactly. just a genuine interest that exactly. you had before. So I started to, yeah, apply myself and that's what it is really. And of course, having more post streams of income as well is, I think it's, it's, it's a great form of security as well. You yes. Know, I mean, Having a nine to five is great, especially if you want a certain form of security, right? Yes. Um, but then, if you want to become even more financially comfortable, financially secure, financially, financially secure free, as well, financially free, um, yeah. If you want to dabble into other things that you know bring in that income, why not? Uh, at some point, I used to work as a freelance developer as well, and maybe I'd get a job. I'll get a big job, like this month. And then I might not get anything for another two months. Yeah. So let's assume I had no other forms of income. What do I do next? Yeah. You know, I'm literally hanging till God knows when. Till the next project <laughs> yeah, comes is, in. You know, that's not guaranteed to come in yeah. next week. So having more post streams of income sort of keeps you, you know, secure, especially if there are businesses that do well. That, that <laughs> produce a great revenue. Yes. Yeah, that sounds, that sounds good to me. Yeah. So then how do you make sure that you are being successful at all of these projects that you're involved in? Yeah. So from your nine to five to doing radio, to doing podcasts, to being an event manager, yeah. a projects manager. How do you make sure that you're not stretching yourself too thin yeah. and actually are able to put 100% into all those projects? Yeah, um, that's a very great question. Um, I think the first thing I would say is whatever you do, make sure you're passionate about it. Because if you're not passionate about what you do, you would get frustrated very quickly. Hundred percent, I agree. Very, I, very I agree with that. Very important because um, all the hats I wear, all the jobs, all things I put my hands into, they're all very stressful and very demanding. 
roles or jobs, if I can call them that. But they don't feel like jobs to me because I enjoy what I do. Yeah. So my nine to five, for example, I work as a solution consultant in an IT company. It's a company I've always wanted to work at. I love the products. I use the products myself. So being a part of the process, you know, that makes me happy. I'm happy to wake up every day and go and do that. And probably because you're proud. You yeah, know. And I'm it's proud a company it. that you can say oh, yeah, you, you're proud to be part of. So you even put more Extra, effort exactly. and energy into it. Yeah, so it's a company I'm very proud of. That for me makes it easy for me to manage that side. And then, of course, when we look into the entertainment side of things, I love the music. I'm passionate about the music. I want to see the music grow. I want to see the music go into new markets. Seeing David O and Burner Boy and Whiskey go on platforms like The Breakfast Club that I watch every day. Yeah. Makes me happy. So and that tells me that the the music is growing, the platform is growing, you know, people are paying attention to the sound now, you know, so that keeps me going. And when I get a chance and I'm like, oh, we're doing the David O concert next month, for example, I'm gonna do all it takes to make sure it's successful. Yeah. You know, because I know what the end result is. And your passion drives it. My passion drives it. You know, even when I feel tired, physically tired, I'm like, let's go ahead, let's do this. Same with the radio, same with the podcast, for passion. Yeah. And then stretching yourself um, or stretching myself, um, that's a trap that a lot of millennials tend to fall into, uh, myself included. Um, but as I started to grow older and sort of gain more experience in the, in the things I do, I've started to realize the importance of, you know, taking, taking care of yourself and pacing yourself. Um, it's always okay to take a break at certain points. You know, that idea of, well, you can, it's not, it's not good to take a break. It's, uh, you know, mm. just keep working, 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 working. That mentality, again, my parents gave me that mentality, like, keep working, keep working, keep working. Yeah. You need to take a break sometimes. You need to pace yourself. Um, and it's okay to sometimes say, no, I can't take this on now. You know, yeah. I can come back later, maybe when my schedule loosens up a little bit. You know, um, I So you do um, say no to projects sometimes? Yeah, I do that um, quite a lot. Initially, when I started, I, I didn't. Yeah. You know, I wanted to take everything on. I didn't want to let people down. But... These days, I actually just started doing this um, middle of last year. I sort of wait, is this a priority for me right now? Um, is this worth taking Your on time. at this time, at this point? But then you know, I guess it's partly to do with of course, at the beginning of your career, you are still building yeah. your name. You're still building almost your, your credentials and yeah. you want a catalogue of things that you can say, I have been yeah. part of this project, that project, yeah. so that when a new project comes in, you do have evidence of things you've worked on. Yeah. So I can imagine in the earlier days, you're least likely to say no to projects and opportunities, yeah. even though you feel absolutely stretched and exhausted. Yeah. You know, you feel like this is an opportunity for me to prove myself. Yeah, I get and that. then I guess later on when you've built a name for yourself yeah. and you, you do have those credentials, you, yeah. you are able, you're in a position to, actually to say no thank you to yeah. that project and yeah. you can pick and choose the projects you're involved in, yeah, which, that, is a, which is a good, is good, a good space thing. to be uh, part of. And it's true. But again, while you're still like starting out, yeah, you're also able, that's the thing that, you know, a lot of people don't realize. You're able to have a chat with whoever you're working with or you're partnering with and say, look, um, this is my workload at the moment. You know, 
I can, this is what I can manage right now. Because yeah. at the end of the day, you don't want to take on a project or in a task, for example, and you're unable to deliver or complete that task because maybe you burnt out. That's true. And then the reputation you're trying to build. You destroy you that destroy by it. doing too but, much. Yeah. So a lot of people don't realize that you can always have that conversation with whoever's your boss or your leader your or manager. whoever your client or whoever you're working with. Yeah. You know, at the end of the day, communication is key. And even I myself, I'm still working on that. You know, yeah. we're all, all still working on that. Communication is key. I can't take this on right now or my workload is this X this amount. Much. You know, so can I finish this first, first and then, get and then back we'll come to, to this? Do you or, know what you're right? Yeah, because again, you have to prioritize. It's a skill. Yeah. You know, so you you rather do that and deliver successfully than take everything on and then... And then fail. Actually, then, no, you're right. Yeah. My my manager, you just reminded me. Yeah. Um, a manager I had before used to say to me, it is better to under-promise and over-deliver... Over-deliver, that's the word. ...than to over-promise and yeah. under-deliver. Yeah. Because, again, you like you said, you're putting your reputation at Under. risk yeah. by under-delivering and almost being seen as unreliable because yeah. you've said you were going to do something. Yeah. And due to the pressure or for whatever reason, you're not able yeah. to, to deliver. Yeah. So, um, What would you say you've, you've learned in your journey so far? What's something that you wished you knew at the beginning that yeah. you know now? All right. Um, communicate better. Um, communicate better in the sense, uh, like I just said, when you've got a lot on your plate or you feel you need a break, it's okay to communicate that. At the end of the day, we're, we're working with human beings as well. Yeah. And, and they you, understand you. They would understand. That's the thing. We we feel like usually, and I, I used to feel like, oh, I don't want to let this person down, so I have to do this and take this on, or I have to keep going, even when I clearly needed a break, mm. even though I clearly had too much I was handling at that time. So um, it's okay to communicate and, you know, let people know certain things. And that we are able to manage expectations right yeah so that's that's the first thing i've learned in my journey so far um, another thing i've learned is patience which is what i mentioned also earlier um, patience in the sense that we as young people we want things now we don't want it tomorrow yeah we don't want it in six hours we want it now no. you know so when we're working or we're starting a business or starting a project we want to see the results now I've seen that those results don't come instantly, you know. You plant a seed, it has to germinate, it takes time, you know. So just be patient, it will come, provided you're doing the work, you're putting yourself in the right places. Preparation, like I said earlier, yeah. provided you're prepared, you're doing what's expected of you, you're doing what you need to do, you know, what, what you want, the opportunities you want, they would come. When you get anxious and you're like, oh, it's not happening, and then you just give up. Yeah. People do that a lot. They, for example, start a blog, and then first week they get only 100 reviews or maybe 50 views. And then they say, ah, it's a failed idea. And then they pull out. Whereas everybody, the blogs that you see today that get a million views, they didn't start with 100,000 views. Yeah. Um, I've got a friend that wanted to be an Instagram lifestyle influencer. And um, first week, she was the first week or first month, she barely got 500 followers and she went, oh, um, it's not worth the time. Well, You've not given yeah, it the time. You've not given it the time and you have to be consistent. The results don't come overnight. 
it takes, you know, it's a gradual process. Yeah. The numbers will grow. When you started, you started with zero. Now you've got about 500. That's progress. Yeah. Celebrate the little wins. The big wins are coming. So patience is, is very key because otherwise people just start stuff and just give up and they don't finish it. And I think those are the two most important lessons that I would say for now. And self-care. Self-care. Is so self-care, imp- patience. Self-care, self-care is very important. Seek uh, advice when you don't know stuff. It's okay to ask as well. Okay. You know, because people don't feel comfortable asking. See. You know. <laughs> now you're, you're, you're preaching to the choir because... <laughs> Yeah, it's it can be quite difficult to ask, especially yeah. in this culture where it feels like you have to be seen to have it all together. You have to be seen to know what you're doing. Yeah. Um, reaching out and asking can be quite, not necessarily difficult, but sometimes a bruise to the ego yeah. because you feel like, you know, I'm a young, independent yeah. person. I've got it. I can do it. I'm yeah. self-made. I should be self-made. Therefore, yeah. I don't need anybody. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it, it can be quite difficult for people to to reach out and yeah. ask questions and ask for advice and yeah. ask for um, solutions, yeah. you know, to, yeah. to some of the issues that they may be facing. Yeah. I get that. I get that. And I used to be like that a lot. For me, it was even a thing of, because I'm like the oldest child in my family. I'm the oldest child from a family of four kids. Mm-hmm. So growing up, I've always been... You must know it. You must set an example. So that made me sort of like always wary of asking people questions because, to be honest, I didn't even have anybody to ask. You know, yeah. I had to figure it out and then come and be an example to my yeah. students. So that mentality stuck. But then, you know, in my career, I've kind of realized that when you don't know stuff, it's okay to swallow the pride. If you're going to take an L for, for you to gain that knowledge, do it. Yeah. And what's the L, really? What's the L? Your I mean, pride. I guess it's, yeah. it's better for you to have yeah. to ask. Ask, than you get the to... knowledge, then go ahead and try to figure it out. And, and fail. And fail, or you don't deliver to the expectation, and then you look even more... Stupid. Yeah. <laughs> Which is even worse, because then your pride is even like, there's no coming back from that, you know. Whereas no, that's true. You could have just gone, oh, I don't know how to do this, um, or... Yeah, what's your approach? Get creative with yeah. your question. If you don't want to look so stupid, get creative with your, oh, your, your like question. Oh, I like that. So, yeah, what's your approach? Yeah. So, can I pick your brain on something? So, um, yeah, can I pick your brain? Or um, So, I have my way of doing this, but how would you go about it? I would like to know. How would you That's, do it? Yeah. And let them talk. I like that and approach. That, See, yeah. I'm, I'm more likely to approach somebody that way yeah. versus being like, can I ask for your help? Yeah. Because again, I think part of it is us not wanting to look dependent. weak, yeah, weak, dependent, yeah. yep. not knowledgeable. Yeah. And again, like I said, we want to look like we know what we're, we're doing, doing at all yeah. times and it's not necessarily true. Yeah, we, we, we don't know it all. Everybody's still learning when it's all said and done. Yeah. You know, even the people you're trying to ask advice from or not, um, directions from. They still gonna, need like, help yeah, from somebody they, else. Somebody else and they could also learn something from you. They don't know it all. Yeah. You know, so that's that's what it is. You know, for example, with, with the production, event production, for example, when I joined, there are certain things I didn't know. Things like, um, so I had an idea of what needed to be done. So things like the running order, for example. I had an idea of, of what it was. Yeah. How do you do it? It's a very different thing. Backlines, we're talking about production, lights and stuff like that. If you mess that up, not only is the artist going to be cross with you, you're going to make the artist look bad. 
Yeah. They're going to make the company look bad. Then you're going to have how many th- number of fans that are going to be upset or disappointed that these people didn't even make an effort yeah. for my 20 or 25 pounds or 55 pounds or whatever how much they paid for a ticket. Yeah. So there's consequences for not doing that correctly. So why not just ask? If it hurts your pride, take it. Yeah. But when the work comes out well, who's everyone going to praise? You. You did the work. Yeah. You're not going to say, oh, well done to the person that taught Tunde. Nobody's <laughs> going to say that. Everyone's going to say, oh, Tunde, you did it. Well done. <laughs> That's so, so true. It, That's so very true. It? No one's going to be yeah. looking at who gave you advice, but yeah. they will say, That's the you person did, that did it. it. And well yeah, done Nobody you. goes back and says, oh, Bill Gates. Yeah, Bill Gates teacher. Thank you for <laughs> teaching him how to... Everyone's like, oh, Bill Gates, you done well. That's something I've never thought of before. Yeah. Nobody thinks about Bill Gates' t-shirt. They just think of the yeah. fact that Bill Gates went and did it and he succeeded. Yeah. And he learned that from somewhere. Yeah. He let somebody taught the story. Someone taught him. <laughs> he went to school at some point. Yeah. Wow, I feel like we can, we can end it there. Like you just dropped all the gems I right think that's there. the best part of this podcast today. <laughs> um, okay, and then I wanted to cover... Yeah. For your involvement with the campaign. Yeah. You have the stage. Tell us about the campaign you were involved right, so in. I, I was involved in a social campaign, a social awareness campaign, which was called uh, Give HIV the Finger. So this is a, an awareness campaign to raise awareness for HIV testing in the UK. So to get an HIV test is as simple as doing a finger prick test. So you yeah. can get, order yourself a self-test kit on startswithme.org and... You get a kit delivered to your house. You take that kit, you prick yourself on your finger, take a drop of blood into yeah. a test tube, and then you just wait a few minutes, and then, yeah, you see your result right there and then. Oh, okay. Negative. So it's like you, you see the results yeah, instantly. you test yourself instantly. Oh, and, great. Um, so it's, it's not like you have to send it off and wait no, a couple of days you, you to get your results. you do it right there yourself. Oh, and wow. if it's negative... Um, you go back on the website just to register, just for statistical reasons. Yeah. You know, and um, if it's positive, you can take that to a doctor, get a second test, and then get treated. Yeah. Yeah, essentially, that's what the campaign is. Um, why did I get involved with the campaign? I got involved with the campaign because um, I'm a young man myself, and I've seen many people too scared to get themselves tested. People are scared of what the result might be. And at the end of the day, they end up harboring diseases within themselves that could have been treated early enough. Yeah. And then those diseases stay in the body for a long time. They become even worse. So why not encourage people to go out there, get a simple prick test? What you didn't mention was that this was a massive campaign because I remember last year, I'm not sure if it's still running now, I remember last year seeing these big billboards on the buses, on the underground it was pretty much everywhere, and yeah. it was a very, very big campaign. Yeah, it's a nationwide campaign. It was all over the UK, um, even places as far as uh, Liverpool, Bristol, Brighton, yeah. Portsmouth, places I've never been, you know. So that was that was nice yeah. for, for a good cause. I'd and again, how did, how did you find yourself in, in that space? How did I find myself in that space? So um, the organisation reached out to uh, Spade Entertainment. They wanted a team of... But they wanted a, a group of people of African heritage. Yeah. Um, because most of, according to statistics, the highest percentage of people infected, people infected with HIV AIDS are black people. And sadly, there's a stigma in our society um, 
for people that have HIV. HIV can be contracted in a number of ways, not just, it's not just sexually, you can get it maybe just by using an infected paper in a barbershop. You can yeah. get it by using an infected blade. Some people get it through childbirth. Yeah. You know, so, so yeah, um, the organization reached out to us as a well-known organization within the community. And um, they felt, of course, if people like us that were known to be... Be, be uh, the face of be it. Be the face, yeah. Then, you know, get more people to come on. And, of course, it made sense as well. You know, we had an, a weekly nightlife that we, was run, that we were running and are still running. We took the campaign on, you know, the billboards were there. And then yeah. at our nightly Afrobeats in the City event, we were handing out testing kits to people when they came to the club. Wow, you know, so that's take, great. Go home tonight. Whatever you do is none of our business, but take this, make sure you get yourself tested, you know, which was good. So That's absolutely and we amazing. Did that at our concerts as well. So, yeah. That was great. That was great. No, I'm proud I, I, to be part of that. I could know. I'm proud of you for being part of that. That's absolutely amazing. And it's not just, you know, about the the entertainment, but also positively Fantastic. impacting other people's lives yeah. and, and the community. Yeah. We, in we care about the health and well being of our audience, our yeah. fans. No, no, and that's important. Yeah. Okay, so before we leave yeah. and we put this to an end we are going to do a quick game. Yeah. Um, it's a fire round of a couple of questions I've put Ooh. together so that we can get to know you a little bit before we okay. leave. Okay, here we go. Um, okay, so so yeah. out of all the events that you've taken part of yeah. in the past, yeah. who is your favourite artist? Uh, wow, you're putting me on the spot there. Okay, I'll say for this one, I'll say David O. Okay. Um, in terms of concerts I've worked on, it okay. has to be David O uh, at Brixton, the old two Brixton in two thousand and was it two thousand eighteen? I think uh, I was there. Yeah, I, th- I, I was. I, I'm really proud of that particular show. You know, for the amount of work that went into that show, um, and I mean, I think it was one of the shows that sort of showed us we could go on to even bigger stages. Yeah. You know, and um, I think from there we were able to go into the O2 and. You know, we did the O2 Arena three times after that. So, yeah, I'm proud of that particular show. That was my favourite one, you know. And um, it was also a nice step up for David O as well. Yeah. <laughs> and then this one is a bit juicy. So mm. out of all the artists you've worked with, uh, who is the most diva? <laughs> oh, can I skip that question? <laughs> okay, that's uh, But no, no, I'll just say this. Yes. Working with artists is... Is, is, is quite a difficult and challenging job because, okay. yeah, they're all divas. I'll just okay, put it how about there. how about this question then? <laughs> what is something that an artist has asked for to be part of their package that you felt was a little bit ridiculous? You don't, you don't have to say who. You can just give us a little bit well, of a... Who is that? Who is that? All right, so some of us... Oh, wow, that would be too obvious. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we we get all kind of ridiculous requests, you know. You get you know artists that say, um, if if it's not a Rolls Royce that's picking me up at the airport, you know, then I'm not gonna. I'm not show performing. Up, wow. You know? We've we've had a situation where an artist said the hall is not full enough, so I'm not going on stage, you know. So yeah, you get some ridiculous. But then in situations like that. like that, when they say the the venue is not full enough, yeah. Are they waiting for what the, the audience is to come in a little bit, or is yeah. it because, because the venue wasn't completely sold out? Yeah, so it's more like they're waiting for more fans to come into to the come building. To come in, okay. You know, but in a situation like that, uh, especially 
in this country where there's a hard stop. Yeah. 11 o'clock is 11 o'clock. Whether or not you're done with your performance or not, your show has to end, end at right 11. Then. That's what the license says. Yeah. So if you have a headliner that's supposed to be on stage at 9 p.m. and perform for two hours or an hour and a half, yeah. and they're saying the hall isn't full enough at 9 p.m. and they're waiting till maybe 10. That means you're, you're giving your fans only an hour of an performance. An hour versus the two, two hours, hours that they paid, paid for. for. Exactly. Okay. And we have to deal with that repercussion because we're going to sell tickets to the same fans for our next show, our next concert. So Of course. Yeah, of we, course, we have to sort of put our feet down. Like, you're going in. Yeah. If it's one person in there, you're going in, you know. So what advice would you give your 15-year-old self? Ooh, be patient. Okay, patience. <laughs> be patience. Patience is key. It would all fall into place. Be patient. Because at 15, I just entered uni. I'd, uh, I was my first year in uni. Yeah. At I could 15? See, yeah, I could see that look. I graduated at 18. No, I graduated at 19, yeah. So I entered uni at 15, spent four years in uni, graduated at 19. So Can we yeah. talk about that in a little bit? <laughs> All right. So I had my primary education in the UK. And then halfway through that, moved to my family, moved back to Nigeria, and then finished my primary education in Nigeria, and then entered secondary school. So in Nigeria, the way it works is if you're smart enough, well, I don't want to use the word smart enough, but if you pass the exams yeah. for the next class, you get moved to the next class. Okay, so, so you, you get to move one grade up, up and skip yeah. a whole grade. You can skip two grades if you do the exams and you pass it. Oh, wow. Yeah, so I did skip classes like two th- times in primary school. Okay, so, so I, that kind of fast-tracked. Yeah, that fast-tracked me. So I think I entered secondary school at nine. So, yeah, that's how I was able to get into uni very quickly. And I'm grateful for that because it made me grow up very quickly, quickly as well. Because I, I had friends that, all my friends are older than I am, much older than I am. Yeah. You know, so that made me grow up quicker. That made me think quicker. You know, I was 15 and I had mates in uni that were 18 and they're talking about girlfriends and they're talking about sex. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I know what you're talking about. <laughs> I was still a mommy's right, boy. Yeah. So, at the same time, I started to think about career because that's what my friends were talking about. We're talking about, about when you so, were kind of involved in those conversations. conversations. So I had to start also thinking on that wavelength. And at the time, I used to say, oh, when I come out of uni, I'm not getting a job, a nine-to-five job, strictly my business. I'm going to be self-employed, blah, blah, blah. But, well, I got out of uni and, you know, life was different. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> reality so, hit differently. Yeah, a reality so, check. You know, and at the time I used to set goals like this is, this must happen at this age and that, but I realised just be patient. Oh, yeah. Things will come. I'm somebody who, of course, like everybody else, you you set goals and you want them to happen at a certain time and yeah. you, you've got this whole plan, but yeah. then you realise sometimes that life will happen and things will happen yeah. when they're supposed to. Yeah and there's only so much you can do. I mean, you can set those goals and you can work towards it, but it yeah. may not always go according to the plan that, that you had in your head. And that's not necessarily always a bad thing either. Yeah, it's not. It's just, it just makes you tougher. It builds your experience as well. And it's it's not necessarily a bad thing. It's, I see it as a good thing. Every failure is a good thing for me, you know, because I learn from it. Absolutely. Yeah. That's true. And again, with every failure, there's progression, right? Because you, yeah. you've made that mistake once and you won't make, make the same mistakes wise. Yep, well, hopefully you're wise enough to not make the Even same. Even if you make it a second time, then you have to learn. Then Why you have to I, learn How did again. I fall in the same position again? <laughs> yeah. You have to question yourself. Yeah. You know, you have to learn. That's the most important thing. Whatever happens, 
What can I learn from this? Good or bad, what can I learn from this? It went well. What did I do to make it right? Yeah. I'm going to repeat that. It didn't go well. What made it go wrong? We're going to avoid that. So either way. Simple as that. Okay. Our experience counts. The last question. What's what's the vision? What's the what's, vision? Yeah, ten years time. What are we doing? What does it look like? Mm, ten years. Huh. I love how we just spoke about not timing everything. Yeah, and no, I'm that's what I was about to say. Putting ten years time, time on it. All right, ten years time. Let's see. Um. <laughs> oh, it could be twenty or fifty or All right, whatever I'll t- you I'll want share it to a secret be. On this. Well, it's not a secret. It's an open secret. Um, at some point in my life, I want to go into politics. Oh wow! So, okay. Um, and I've said to myself by the time I'm 45, which is less than 20 years from now. I want to be fully active in politics. And uh, before I do go into politics, I want to fully establish myself in business. Um, so I want to have uh, a fully fledged entertainment company that you know caters to uh, the music distribution, event production, radio production, TV production running. Yeah. And then once all of that is set up and run, I want to then focus fully on politics and, you know, help make policies and drive policies that makes the life of people better. So that is my 15 the plus years term. plan. Yeah. <laughs> so that's that's everything I do isn't working towards that towards goal. Towards that. So I think that, that sort sounds... of answers it. <laughs> no, it does. That sounds absolutely great. Yeah. And um, thank you for talking to me. Yeah, thank you for I, having me. I generally, I've learned a lot. I've been taking notes, like, <laughs> mentally. <laughs> and I do appreciate you taking your time you out and me. just kind of sharing your experience and your wisdom and your knowledge that you've um, dropped with us today. Yeah. Where can the people find you on socials? All right, uh, on Twitter, Facebook, well, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, my my handle is at Mr underscore Schmooze. So that's M R underscore S C H M O Z E. Or you can even go to my website, thedignified.co. So dignified.co. Okay. Before we go, can I ask you a few questions? Um, okay. <laughs> yeah. So. <laughs> The Dream and Money podcast, yes. uh, what's the motivation or inspiration behind that? Um, what's the motivation and inspiration? Mm. The inspiration is people like you, mm. people who are pushing the culture forward, people yeah. who are just chasing their dreams and making it a reality for themselves and building the kind of world they want to be in, yeah. building the kind of culture they want to be a part of yeah. and inspiring other people. I mean, yeah. I get inspired by my peers. Yeah. More than celebrities. So sometimes when you ask somebody, oh, who's your, like, who's your inspiration? Like, they may say, you know, Beyonce or Bill Gates or somebody of that level. But for me, I am much more inspired by people I can relate to, people who are my age and people I feel like almost share similar stories to mine. Yeah. Yeah, so that's the inspiration. Great, great. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Because, <laughs> again, like uh, I said to you before, I came on the podcast, um, I've listened to all the previous episodes, and I do find the content really, really inspiring myself. Oh, thank you. So, yeah, keep doing that. And um, So, as always, you can find me on Instagram. That's Dreams and Money Podcast. Dreams and Money Podcast. That's on Instagram. <laughs>